the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following is a conversation between Jack Kozakowski, President and CEO of Junior Achievement USA, and Denver Frederick, host of The Business of Giving, on AM 970 The Answer, WNYM, in New York City. It is quite an achievement for any organization, profit or nonprofit, to make it to its 100th birthday. But that is what Junior Achievement has done as 2019 marks its centennial anniversary. And here to discuss with us its past achievements, as well as its future vision and plans, is the president and CEO of Junior Achievement USA, Jack Kozakowski. Good evening, Jack, and welcome to the Business of Giving. Good evening. Thank you, Denver, for having me on. Well, congratulations on your centennial. Tell us a little bit about the founding of the organization way back in 1919 and a few of the milestones along the way. Sure. The organization uh, was really founded as the Industrial Revolution was taking place. I mean, you know, we had lived in an agrarian society up until then, and the businesses were finding that the young people really weren't prepared with the kind of skills that they needed to be successful uh, in this industrial economy. And so uh, we had a founder, Senator Murray Crane, uh, Horace Moses of the Strathmore Paper Company, mm-hmm. uh, and at that time the uh, head of AT&T were all three founders of the organization. And the idea back then was really very simple, to take young men and young women uh, and have them operate a mini company where they would do a production line, they would go out and sell stock, do everything that you know a business would do so that these young people would get that level of experience. And it became a very popular thing to do. It started here on the East Coast right. uh, in Springfield, Mass., mm-hmm. uh, and really stayed uh, as a regional organization – uh, through uh, World War II. In fact, you know, sometimes timing is everything. There was a huge announcement by a big business group, uh, I believe on December 1st, 1941, about expanding J nationwide. Mm. And of course, the war got in the way. Yeah, and, <laughs> six days later. Yeah, six <laughs> days later. So uh, after that, after World War II, uh, we started to do a nationwide expansion. And uh, it took off very quickly. It was a very popular program. Of course, in those days, uh, it was an after-school program, involved high school students only, mm-hmm. um, and, and continued to grow. And really, that original company program that many listeners probably were a part of was the only program that Junior Achievement operated uh, up until about the mid-1970s. Uh, and at that point, a couple things uh, started to happen. Uh, we started to see that, you know, number one, uh, the skills that employers were looking for in young people uh, started to change. We were kind of merging into a service economy. Uh, the the other piece uh, is even though we had been around since 1919, 
up until 1974, probably the maximum number of kids we were reaching nationwide was under 300,000. Mm-hmm. So to really make a movement, you needed more than that. We didn't know how many more. Uh, and we need to reach them in different ways because uh, another key was we started to see that the attitudes uh, that our supporters were looking to change in young people were being formed way before they got into high school. And so our first foray into an in-school program, a uh, school environment, uh, was a program we called Project Business, uh, which really took all of the elements of learn by doing from the JA Company program, but took it into the school. So we had a business volunteer that would go in and work in collaboration with the classroom educator. Uh, this at the time was an eighth grade program. Uh, and teaching kids very basic fundamental economic concepts. And it proved so popular that teachers at the younger grades uh, were asking for more and teachers at the higher grades. So uh, around the 19, uh, beginning of the 1980s, we became a full K-12 curriculum. And over the years, what started to happen is that after-school program dwindled a little bit couple reasons. One is it's it's more costly than the in-school approach because yep. you had to maintain facilities. Uh, but the, the other piece of it is the demand from the schools was so high for what we were doing uh, that we were able to get those business people into the classroom. And what we found was uh, multiple benefits from that. You know, you were able to provide a sequential learning approach uh, to the students, kindergarten through 12th grade. Uh, the partnership of the business executive and the teacher proved to be more valuable than we could have ever imagined. That, you know, a lot of our educators are asked to do so much in the classroom, and, you know, that continues today. But unfortunately, they just didn't have that business expertise that they could share. So a lot of the professional educators would tell us that, you know, they learned as much in the program uh, (laughs) uh, as the kids did. And so, you know, through the 80s and 90s, uh, those programs continued. Uh, And then uh, we started to get exposed to go back to more of a site-based experiential uh, program and Probably in 30 of our markets right now, we uh, have facilities called capstone facilities where we operate either our JA Finance Park program or a JA BizTown program. And in these programs, for example, in JA Finance Park, the students take a financial literacy course uh, in school, but then they come to this JA facility, which is very Disney-esque. I mean, it has uh, brands that they see on the street, different banks, different Uh, home goods stores and things. So the students go into this facility with a life situation card. And it may say that you're 25 years old, an unmarried mother of two, uh, and you need to go through this little mall-like experience and do your budget for a year. And uh, so they know how much money they're making, so they have to, you know, limited choices, uh, basic economics. Yeah, real Uh, world. It's real world stuff. Mm -hmm. And because you're using real brands, real experiences, that experiential learning takes place. This becomes an emotional experience. I've seen young people that have gone through this program and at the end, they may be sitting there with tears. Yeah, yeah. And naturally, I, I yeah. get a little concerned, but mm-hmm. then I find out they realize what their parents had to go through to raise them. You know, as part of all this growth, 
you became an international organization as well. How many countries are you in and how many young people are you serving currently? Uh, currently, uh, globally, we're approaching 11 million young people, uh, about 4.8 million of those are in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, we're in six regions around the world, and I had the good fortune of serving for about four years as chief operating officer for our global entity. So, uh, you know, I did a lot of work in China, a lot of work in the former Soviet Union, in the Middle East. And the thing that struck me uh, as I had those experiences was how much more value the education system puts on what junior achievement does outside of the United States than they do in the United States. Mm. Uh, you know, for example, Queen Rania of Jordan was our ambassador, and she could get me into nearly any ministry of education. And what you saw through these educators is that they knew they're graduating all these kids – and if they didn't have jobs, you know, entrepreneurship, when they graduated, they're going to spend their time doing something else. Yeah. And so it was a very real need for them. Mm -hmm. Who have been uh, some of the notable alums who have been part of Junior Achievement at one time by their life? Probably. Or the, uh, that's a great question. One of the most notable is Mark Cuban, uh, who is, you know, a household name now. Yes, but, he is. Uh, Mark was uh, in the program, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, he's made note through several blogs that he learned more about business and junior achievement than anything else he's done in his lifetime. Uh, Donna Shalala, former, what, Secretary of Health Education. And the president of the University of Miami, Miami as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, went through junior achievement uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm -hmm. uh, listeners who are fans of the band KISS. Uh, Gene Simmons, I guess. Yeah, is that'd be it. Right. Yeah, and Very G good. Gene is a New Yorker, <laughs> uh -huh. and uh, he credits all of his business acumen to Junior Chin. In fact, he, he wrote a book, uh, Me Incorporated, and there's an entire chapter <laughs> on Junior Achievement. Oh, that's great. So it goes the whole gamut. We have doctors. Uh, we, you know, sometimes people think, okay, you're in the business of turning out little business people. That's not the case at all. We want to make sure that our, the young people that go through our programs have the experience and knowledge to choose the direction that they want to move in. Yeah, I think uh, another example would be Dan Rather. Dan Rather is another great example mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. that. So talk a little bit about those skills. What are some of them that somebody who goes through junior achievement will pick up, and how do they complement what they would ordinarily learn in school? It's a good question. Now, clearly, we provide the business um, knowledge and acumen, so to speak, in terms of how to do it. But we're firm believers in the, you know, quote-unquote soft skills. Now they're called 21st century skills of teamwork, collaboration, getting along with people. Uh, you know, our experience has been that uh, some of the most knowledgeable people are not successful because they just don't know how to get the job done. Mm -hmm. And so in the junior achievement experience, and, you know, it starts all the way down in kindergarten and goes all the way through high school, uh, all these young people have to work with their peers and come up with solutions to complex problems. So it's, it's that information. And some of it, I think, is just pure knowledge. You know, uh, young people grow up not knowing much about business. In fact, uh, it goes through cycles. I mean, I w was in Jay in the early 70s, and business was a dirty word. It's <laughs> since, in the, you know, has gone up with people like Mark Cuban that, hey, business is a great thing. But now you're starting to see attack on business again. And mm -hmm. so what we're able to do is really provide the knowledge to the young people 
of what the capitalistic society that we have has been able to do for our country. Are your programs predominantly or all in school, or do you still have some that are after school? What's the split of that? We do have both in school and out of school, but I would say probably 95% of the programs are still in in school. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, you mentioned a moment ago about volunteers. And from what I've always understood, if there was really a backbone to the organization, it was your volunteer base. Tell us a little bit about who these people are, how you recruit them, and specifically what they do. Okay. Uh, We have a quarter of a million uh, volunteers every year in the program. The vast majority of those are business people. We do have some PTAs and PTOs, but even then, they tend to be parents who are business people Mm -hmm. uh, that come into the classroom. We provide the curriculum in a very hands-on approach to teaching a topic. So the volunteers don't come in and lecture. They sort of work with the students on various projects that get more complex as a student uh, goes through school. Um, I believe they are truly the secret sauce of what we do. I can believe it. Uh, In fact, I'll give you an interesting story. A uh, loved one. A personal story. I uh, first got involved in JA as a student, uh, as a sophomore in Toledo, Ohio. I joined a company that was sponsored by the DeVilvis Company. I joined for all the wrong reasons. There was this cute blonde sitting in front of me, and I thought this would be a great opportunity. (laughs) Sounds like a good reason. So I go to Jay the first session, and uh, there was a gentleman. He was uh, actually, I've just recently found out, an engineer for the DeVilvis Company who saw something in me that teachers hadn't seen, coaches hadn't seen. Uh, took a real interest and got me involved. And at that stage, I was the kind of kid who was an okay student, terrible athlete, terrible music. But Mr. Gimple saw something in me that other people didn't see. And, uh, you know, I never got the girl, but I certainly, uh, through that inspiration, and the funny thing is I just finished 45 years professionally with the organization and my associates tracked down Mr. Gimple. Oh, that's great. Uh, and uh, he was amazed at the impact uh, that he had. So if any listeners think that one person can't change somebody's life, they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Mr. Gimple was that guy for me. You know how important it is to, to measure the impact of uh, programs an organization has. And impact sometimes can be difficult to to, to weigh. But tell us a little bit about that and, and what kind of uh, successes have you had in terms of uh, – the outcomes of the JEA programs. Yeah, we've invested as an organization probably more than most youth organizations in terms of metrics of success Mm -hmm. because the majority, vast majority of our money comes from the business sector and they demand to know what kind of results are we getting. Right. And so uh, we do the standard pre and post tests, which, you know, we see there's tremendous uh, learning that takes place. Of course, the holy grail in any organization like ours is a longitudinal study, uh, which are very expensive, very difficult. And because we're in schools, it gets hard to get the kind of data, but we're starting to launch those. The uh, We've done alumni retrospective studies, uh, and it's sort of interesting. Uh, 20% of the kids, so one in five J alumni end up in the same career as the volunteer they had in the J program. That is interesting. Yeah. So, so I mean, I, that tells you volumes. And, you know, when we talk to engineering groups and they're saying we need more female engineers, how do we do that? 
we've got to get those role models out in front of the kids because they're not exposed to that. They mm-hmm. don't even realize that that's a, a potential uh, career opportunity. We find out that JLLs are making 20% more uh, in their jobs. They've reported a higher level of happiness with their career than other folks. So uh, those are are sort of a retrospective, but we are getting more and more into uh, the longitudinal and and those direct studies. Mm -hmm. In terms of studies, you do surveys on a periodic basis. One you have recently completed has been on disconnected youth, and those would be young people between 16 and 24 who are not working or enrolled in school. How big a group is that, and what trends are you seeing? Yeah, uh, as part of our uh, centennial year, we uh, partnered with the Population Reference uh, Bureau, uh, and we pulled data from nearly uh, five decades uh, of census data. Mm-hmm. And so to give you a, a, a sense of it, in 1970, 23% of females were disconnected, and that is not involved in work, not involved in school, mm-hmm. kind of just not doing anything. By 2017, the most recent year that we had data for, only 11% were disconnected. That's so impressive. clearly yeah. there has been an impact not just by junior achievement but everyone else. Society. The society that mm-hmm. is, is working uh, on those students. Now, on the males, uh, probably not so good. In uh, 1970, 9% of the males were considered disconnected. Uh, by 2017, it actually rose slightly to about 12%. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of reasons uh, for that. You know, you can go back to the Vietnam War. Uh, and I, people, were, people my age were going to school just so they didn't go into the military. I do recall. Yeah. And uh, then beyond that, I, I think the good news is for uh, the disconnection rate for blacks and Hispanic youth, uh, have fallen considerably mm-hmm. over that period of time, from 23 to 18 percent for black youth, and 23 to 13 percent uh, for Hispanics. So, I think the work of organizations like Junior Achievement is definitely having an impact. Uh, and and part of the reason we do these studies is really to be a knowledge base for folks that you know are interested in this space. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's really in your sweet spot. You're dealing with these these young people and uh, it's good to know that you can put it on a macro level and really have some kind of a perspective of all the work that is going on. You know, you mentioned female engineers a moment ago, but a recent survey by JA indicated that teen girls' interest in STEM careers has declined slightly. And that's quite a surprise with so much emphasis being placed on that topic. What were some of the reasons for that decline? Well, of course, you never really know. But uh, we, uh, when you look at the data and you look at the young people involved, most of what's being done in STEM education is uh, got a builder's uh, sort of philosophy around it, uh, talking about you know the, the robotics, building robots, uh, writing code for uh, computer programs, and things like that. And so in the survey, what we did see is that the young women are more interested in science from a standpoint of how can they help people. Yeah. And so purpose-driven. Purpose-driven, mm-hmm. exactly. And so while we don't often think of nursing and medical as a STEM career, it clearly is built around science. And the young women's interest in those programs has increased substantially. Yeah, I think even running a tractor these days is a STEM career pretty oh. much. You know? Yes. <laughs> Everything yes, you do. Yeah. Um, 
Jack, I saw an article you recently wrote, and you suggested that organizations in the sector not refer themselves uh, as nonprofits, that we're doing ourselves a disservice. Why do you say that, and what do you suggest instead? It's a great question, a revelation. And, of course, I've been in this career a long time, mm-hmm. and we were working with some consultants on fundraising, and you know they started to point out to us uh, that we are the only sector – of the economy that refers to themselves by what they're not as opposed to what they are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, let's face it, nonprofit is only a tax status. Mm-hmm. If uh, we don't make a difference, if we don't make an impact, we're not going to exist. And so we really refer to ourselves now as a for-impact organization. The entire reason we exist is to prepare young people to succeed in a global economy, we do that through financial literacy, workforce readiness, and entrepreneurship education. So our entire focus now is uh, on impact. When we talk to donors, it's about impact. We talk to volunteers, it's about impact because that is why we exist. Yeah. Well, whether you refer to yourself as a nonprofit or for impact, what you need is money <laughs> to yes. finance the organization and pay the bills. Tell mm-hmm. us about your business model and who some of your key supporters are. Sure. Uh, we raise in the United States about a hundred collectively about one hundred and eighty five million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of that is corporate dollars, and so we are kind of the antithesis of the typical uh, nonprofit or social service agency that's getting uh, money from individuals. Uh, and so a lot of the companies – and it goes back to our, our beginning. Yeah. The whole reason we were started is to help prepare kids for the world of work. Mm-hmm. And so it, it only goes to serve that companies like City that are interested in youth being financially literate and successful, uh, huge supporters. So the financial services sector in general, uh, big supporters of junior achievement, uh, the manufacturing sector – is huge. We're we're struggling a little bit in what I would call new economy businesses. Uh, you know, out on the the West Coast, and and part of it is I think people still view Junior Achievement as an old economy organization. Yet we are having tremendous success in a blended learning approach where we now have a learning management system. So when our t- volunteers are going in to work with our teachers. They're, they're not opening a piece of paper. They're, they have an ebook or, you know, are working off of their phone. Uh, so there's technology there. But, um, yeah, those are our primary sources of income. Now, we are starting to look more and more at high net worth individuals. Uh, what we find out is that in the business sector, uh, we're kind of a B2B. Mm-hmm. Very, our recognition level is very high. Uh, amongst uh, some in the, in the high net worth individual, not so much. And so we're going to be putting more and more of an emphasis in that area. Yeah, and it's interesting what you say about Silicon Valley. Sometimes I think that legacy organizations, there's a preconception about them, and they don't really take that careful a look, and they're looking for younger startup tech-centric nonprofits than they are for organizations that have been around for 100 years. Tell us a little bit about your workplace culture and maybe two or three things about it that you really think help make it exceptional. Our workplace culture is cool. I mean, uh, cool, what, that's what, a good word. <laughs> what I tell you is, you know, I've been doing this 45 years. I feel like I've never worked a day in my life because we're helping people. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we're finding now, especially with millennials coming out of school, is they're looking to change the world. They're looking to make a difference. And there's very few careers where you 
are actually able to see day in and day out how you're changing people's lives. And so uh, our culture is very much uh, decentralized. Uh, I know when I hire folks that would, uh, report directly to me, I say, hey, uh, I'm hiring your brains, not your time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a bit of latitude that folks have in terms of being creative, in terms of how we accomplish our goals. Uh, the young people that uh, we're recruiting both at the national level and at our area level have an opportunity for remote uh, working, which, as you know, is becoming more and more popular, especially in markets like here in New York City. And so uh, I think it's a very collaborative culture. We use a corny term. Uh, people think it's corny, but we don't. Uh, we really see it as a J family mm-hmm. that uh, despite the fact we have these 107 markets across the country that kind of compete with each other to be the best of the best, yeah. the level of sharing that takes place in the organization is amazing. Mm-hmm. So if something is invented here in New York, uh, they're more than happy to share it with their peers around the country. Yeah, I've, I've done a lot of work on uh, nonprofit cultures, and family is the word uh, that comes up in all the very best of them. So we mentioned earlier, it is your centennial. Uh, does the campaign have a theme, and are there any activities uh, around it? Well, Denver, it's interesting. When we started preparing for our centennial about three years in, and when we talked to other organizations that had gone through this, both for-profit and not-for-profit, uh, what we found is uh, a unanimous, number one, don't try to do too much. Mm-hmm. And number two, nobody cares that it's your birthday. <laughs> and so uh, what we decided to do with some really good uh, marketing help is to, to reference the past. You know, the fact we've been around 100 years is pretty impressive. Uh, but we feel that that 100 years has really set us up to be more successful in the future. So the theme we've used is 100 years, 100% ready. I think. And uh, mm-hmm. we've, been, we've been promoting that theme throughout. Let me close with this, Jack, and it has to do with career advice. Um, in a world where the jobs of today may not even exist 10 years from now, and conversely, there may be a whole new slew of jobs that we haven't even imagined of yet, what advice would you give to a teen today about thinking about their future career? It's a great question, and I would say that I've had a huge paradigm shift over the years uh, seeing young people uh, come up and, you know, faced with that question. Um, When I was graduating from college, everybody's looking at where can I make the most money? Mm -hmm. Where am I going to get the most perks? And I was fortunate that I had found an organization I love, and so I said, well, I like doing this. And so my advice to young people that are graduating from college is, number one, you've you got to get the education. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to get that. Uh, but I would chase – it sounds silly – chase your dreams. What do you like to do? Because I sincerely believe if you find what you like to do – and it could be counting numbers. It could be engineering, whatever it is. Go after it. Mm -hmm. Get experience in it. Make sure it's really what you like to do. But if you find something you like to do, the money becomes secondary. (laughs) Uh, The fact that you're going to work is it's kind of what you enjoy. It becomes who you are. So I would really encourage young people not to chase the dollar, yeah. uh, but really to chase what they're good at and what they enjoy doing. Yeah, which also sounds like they need to experiment a little bit. 
to really find out because sometimes we don't know until we actually start doing it. You're absolutely correct. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, I loved – I had a bookkeeping class. I love bookkeeping. I look back on it now and it's like, thank goodness <laughs> what that I, I didn't thinking? go <laughs> – what was I thinking? Exactly. Well, Jack Kozakowski, the president and CEO of Junior Achievement USA, I want to thank you so much for being here this evening. Tell us about your website and what visitors will find on it. Okay. Our website is real easy to find. It's ja.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on our website, you'll be able to learn all about our programs um, and what we do. But I think more importantly for parents and for teens, uh, they will – well, students in general – will find activities. I I think parents in general uh, struggle with having money talks Mm -hmm. with their their young people. And so uh, on our website, they'll be able to find a whole bunch of information at different age levels of what is appropriate to start doing. And, you know, we're firm believers you start as young as kindergarten, maybe even pre-kindergarten, in terms of real simple stuff that you can do that you don't maybe realize the difference it's yes. going to make in a kid's life. I mean, I, I, I talk to business people and educators, and they always say, oh, you know, economics is so complicated, financial literacy. No, it's not. Yeah. You can't spend more money than you make, number one. Number two, you got to save a little bit of everything that you make. And number three, you got to put something in insurance or whatnot for catastrophes. It really boils down to that. And then you get as complicated as you want with stocks and bonds and where you're going to do it. But if people in this country and really around the world could learn that the number one key to success is you can't spend more than you make, we'd be a lot better off than we are today. For sure. And uh, But if you do have a little extra to spend, I bet you have a donate button there too, right? We absolutely <laughs> do. If you'd like to invest in junior achievement, uh, there is that opportunity. Well, thanks, Jack. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Denver. I'll be back with more of The Business of Giving right after this. The Business of Giving can be heard every Sunday evening between 6 and 7 p.m. Eastern on AM 970 The Answer in New York and on iHeartRadio. You can follow us at Biz of Give on Twitter and at Facebook.com slash Business of Giving. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 